This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. In theater circles, they say a bad final rehearsal is a good omen. It means a terrific run of show is straight ahead once the curtain goes up for real on opening night. Let's hope baseball imitates Broadway, because on getaway from the Grapefruit League day, the Mets pulled the Jets. They lost in South Florida 14-0. That was the AFC Championship game of 40 years ago, back when the Jets were still relevant. 14-0 at the Orange Bowl. A.J. Dewey put it away from Miami with a pick six against Richard Todd. Some of you might even be over it by now. 7-7-1 is the Mets' final spring training record. They still haven't had a winning spring training since the pennant-winning season of 2015. Taiwan Walker roughed up, but at least he didn't throw five interceptions like Richard Todd. The good news is it's time for the real thing. The bad news is neither Walker nor Carrasco had great spring trainings. Neither DeGrom nor Scherzer are currently healthy. But hey, this is a positive podcast. Let's crank the music and find some sunshine. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning, oh yeah, Mets in the morning, gonna tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing now, here's Josh Lewin, So the color and pageantry of opening day may be a little grayer than we'd all like. The Mets will open not at home as originally scheduled, but on the road against a team that beat them yesterday by 14 runs. Max Scherzer will not make the start, let alone Jacob deGrom. Oh, and it might rain all day tomorrow, too, in D.C. Come on, universe. But this is just game one of 162. No need to get all bent that your opening day starter might be Tyler McGill or David Peterson. The opening day starters in the middle of last decade were Dylan G in 14 and Bartolo Colon in 15. And the Mets went to a World Series in 15. So, as they said in Blazing Saddles, gentlemen, rest your sphincters. Josh Lewin with you. My sphincter's great. I'm feeling good about this 2022 season, even though it's basically a hodgepodge bullpen game to open things up. Practicality over ceremony. I saw it in one of the newspapers, and uh, today marks a new era of how we view this franchise anyway, because exactly 50 years ago, the era of the Mets doing things poorly basically began. Gil Hodges' funeral was on this day 50 years ago. Mike Picaro in the Post recently did a great article about all this, talking about how even before the funeral procession reached the cemetery in Brooklyn, the Mets did a really tone-deaf thing that day. They called a press conference at Shea, and it was there that they announced a couple things, the consummation of the Rusty Staub trade and the elevation of Yogi Berra as Gil Hodges' replacement in the dugout. And the immediate response was angry. Mets have no sense of decency. Are you trying to uh, sell tickets during a strike while there's a funeral going on? Come on. Dick Young wrote in the Daily News, one thing you can't buy is class. Unbeknownst to anyone at the time, that day, 50 years ago today, began the slow but obvious descent for the Mets as a franchise. And uh, 
The historians basically say it started the day of the funeral. That was when M. Donald Grant first really emerged. He was the owner, but had been just an empty suit and a gladhander until the funeral. Now he was getting attention, and he refused to let Whitey Herzog take the reins. That would have been probably a pretty good idea. He went on to St. Louis, became a Hall of Fame manager. But the whole story of all that gets told because it did begin a run of time when the Mets didn't always do things classily or correctly. But these days, 50 years later, I think if nothing else, it seems the Mets do have a clue on how to conduct themselves and how to treat their fan base. So as it's going to be a mishmash of McGill and Peterson and Trevor Williams pitching on opening day, it appears, that is simple bad fortune meeting circumstance. I mean, let's not take it personally. Here is a sign from above. I say again, let's remember it's one out of 162 games, hopefully out of 180 games if October cooperates. We are going to run through the expected opening day roster in just a bit. But first, a chance to hear from the architect of said roster. I sat down a few days ago with the San Diego native Billy Epler talking very little baseball, but a lot of what makes him tick. There's a famous story about Billy Epler having a list of 58 things he wants to accomplish before there's a funeral for him someday. It's a list he compiled right around the time that 1982 AFC title game I talked about was taking place. And it was a football guy who launched that project. Would you believe legendary coach Lou Holtz is the guy responsible for all that? Here's Billy Epler about his list of 58 things that he wanted to accomplish. It was a conversation that I was listening to regarding goal setting. Um, And, you know, really differentiated between, you know, goals and and dreams right Mm -hmm. so um you know dreams are things that uh or wishes that you just hope happen and you close your eyes on your birthday and blow out some candles (laughs) and then there's not really an action plan to get there um whereas uh you know going through um you know more of a mindset and more of a process-based approach uh to to your goal setting and and understanding how you're going to achieve certain things and and uh, understanding the framework and the, and the equation that kind of goes into to getting that desired outcome or getting that goal, um, you know, that's where the fun is. That's yeah. where the, the kind of the learning happens. That's where the struggle is. And so um, you just have to embrace that and and uh, and attack it. And so that was a that, that was kind of the approach. And and uh, yeah, I still have it to this day. And I remember, you know, I kind of left it out in college and would either have it pinned up on a you know, bulletin board or taped on a wall or sometimes just laying on my desk. But I wasn't afraid of if people saw it, it, um, it just uh, kind of upped the accountability on it a little bit. Have you had it laminated? Have you typed it out now? Or is it still your hand scratch from when you were little? It is actually, it is typed out, um, but it's still in paper. Um, it. And it's kind of, <laughs> yeah, crinkled up. Very, they're very like wrinkled on the yeah. edges because it's been in some nightstands and things right like on. that too along the way. So of 58, because to me this is kind of like the whole, you know, sometimes on the internet they'll put it out or on Twitter like, hey, of these 20 things, have you ever been arrested? Have you ever done this? Have you ever been in a, you know, did a, a bit <laughs> Those of a, things on my No, 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 list. but yeah, have you ever been in a hot air balloon, you know? So, and most people are like, yeah, I've done 16 out of 20. So are we scoring at home? Do we have a, a list of how many out of 58 you've, you've checked off? There's still, there's still about over 25 left to, really? left wow. to do, um, you know, and some of them were, were, you know, pretty simple and easy. Or like easy you've ridden in a limo do. between now and then. That's right. Yeah, that was yeah, one of them. Yeah, <laughs> it t- took uh, took care of that. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> thankfully uh, when I got married, so took care of that. Um, but uh, you know, more. Uh, there are some things that I've 
changed my mind on. Um, I'm not going to go skydiving anymore. Um, I have a I have three children at home, and right. you know um, I know the the chances are small and probabilities, and I like to play probabilities, but um, yeah, I'm just figured that's uh, I'm not going to do that. So. Well, well, you've hit on something that I think is kind of fascinating and probably applies to any walk of life, which is the recognition of when to pivot and why to pivot. So I guess the, the big example for you, you've got a job in finance, you had a degree in finance, you probably could have gone down that path. So what was the lightning bolt that said, nah, nah, I got to chase this baseball thing? You know, a lot of it was being young um, and being able to take take risks. I had a, a, a professor um, at the University of Connecticut. He was the dean of, um, of finance there. And I remember a conversation that he had with us when we were, you know, seniors in, in, in college. And, uh, you know, he talked about taking risks because you're young mm-hmm. and you do relatively when you're in college, you, for the most part, I mean, I, I know I did, you had to live fairly cheap. When you were in college, a lot of ramen, right? Yeah, you had to know how to kind of get by, and so just because you go out into the real world and kind of get a job, um, doesn't mean you have to necessarily change your lifestyle, especially if you don't have a, a family or anybody to, mm-hmm. to kind of that uh, that is your responsibility. So if you um, wanted to take risks when you're young, is the time to do that. Um, and so I went to work in the in the business world. Um, and I found that um, the financial world didn't do everything I wanted it to do. Um, I liked it more in theory yeah. and in academia, uh, but you don't get to see the whole picture sure. when you're an entry level employee. Yeah. You, you just get a knew task, what, yeah, yeah. You get a duty, and you just do that little duty. Right, and I wanted right. to see the bigger picture, exactly, um, and think a little bit more globally. And so um, hmm. I remember those those words from. Uh, from my professor, and I opted to uh, take his uh, take him take him up on the advice and uh, and and go take a risk. And so, so I did, and it was twenty two and a half years ago, I guess, that you took that risk. Now, and I'm wondering because the baseball winter meetings happen to be basically in your hometown, right? I mean, they're in. Orange County, you're in Orange County. Had they been in Orlando, had they been in Portland, Maine, would you still have gone, or was it serendipity that your first baseball interview ended up being right there? I probably still would have tried to find a way to get there. Yeah. Um, you know, um, yeah, I, I would have tried to find a way Good. to get okay. there either way, yeah. So I've heard it told, and again, we're talking the late 90s now, uh, you were working at, I think it was the Hyatt Regency, you're a poolside bartender, and now... Holy crap! You're, you're in baseball. So I mean, what was it like going from that to that? I mean, in your mind, was it seamless, or did you stop every once in a while and go, "Man, I was mixing drinks with umbrellas in them like three weeks ago, and here I am." Um, yeah, you know, I it, it's really hard to to kind of think about you know how how I like emotionally packaged yeah, right. that or, yeah. or processed that, um, but uh, you know, I mean, I was I was young, so I was. I was just grinding, and yeah. um, you know when I left the, the financial world and and you know got in as a part time scout, which isn't full time. I needed to have extra money, and so I, during the summertime, I 
took that job and just yeah it was a it was a, a a bartender at the uh, at the swimming pool um for uh you know for for three months i love that um and just made sure i could make enough money to pay for the car payment and the car insurance fortunately my mom lived in san diego so i moved back into my high school bedroom hmm. you know and that was it just that was the way i had to live because i was chasing something down that i wanted to do this might sound weird, Billy, but take me into your high school bedroom. Were there posters on the wall? Were they were they Angels players, Padres players, were they football players? Who who was in there? Um, I think at that stage I was kind of done with the posters. You know, are you asking about when I was in maybe high school? I gotta, maybe I got to wind it back a little bit, when like was, eighth grade or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, eighth grade. I mean, yeah, there was a Top Gun poster in there. there you, go. Okay. you know, we're yeah, the same age. Tom I get Cruise, you. Yeah. Kelly McGillis. Yeah, I still remember that one. Um, and you grew up very close to Miramar anyway, right? I mean, yeah, Top Gun was right there. Yeah, yeah. It's exactly right. When they uh, when they would do the air shows uh, in August, one of the paths kind of went over our house, um, you know, where I where I grew up. So uh, yeah, they'd rattle the windows every now and again. Um, and so, um, you know, what else was on there? There's a couple of surfing photos. I mean, the Bo Jackson um, uh, shoulder pads with the, the bat. bat yeah. That was that was a, a big one. A um, couple skiing ones, you know. Wow, I don't right. know some Eclectic. stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, some skiing, some surfing, some baseball, some football. There was a Ken Griffey Jr. one. Um, so nice. There you go. That was my that was my room. So when you get and again, I'm kind of flashing forward backwards, and, and forgive me for doing that. But you you're now into baseball. You're you're in the fraternity, so to speak. And how easy is it, Billy, or how difficult, I guess, is it when you get pigeonholed a little bit? I mean, I remember reading the book, the Tom Verducci, Joe Torre book, which is wonderful, but, you know, a couple of times it's stats guru, Billy Epler. And it's like, okay, is that what I am? I'm a stats guru. Does that stick to you? And do you feel like it's flypaper and you need to get it off you because you want to be more well-rounded or is that okay? No, it was completely okay. You know, I wanted to... um make sure I could tell the whole story of a player. And the whole story of a player has to be told through a lot of different lenses. Um, hmm. So I wanted to make sure I had the, um, you know, the ability uh, and the diversity of thought right, okay. um, so I could approach it with a little, a little different lens uh, if necessary so I could really think through a problem. Um, and so I thought the well-roundedness um, was going to be important um, for um, the evaluation of a player or any other decision that we're going to make. Um, I, I just really want to walk around it before uh, before jumping in with a recommendation, an opinion, or a decision. And it seems like there's a real simpatico with Sandy Alderson and you. I mean, you, you get together now, but it almost sounds like that Sandy's lens as well. He's very proud of the fact that he can put a statistical eyeball on things, but also actual eyeballs on what's going on in a baseball field. Yeah, absolutely right. Because sometimes, you know, uh, you know what I like to to you know, draw the comparison um, is when we're talking about a, a starting pitcher. Okay. Right? So he's going to make somewhere between 28 and 32 starts a year, um, you know, uh, if, he, if, if the health goes his way. Um, and if I'm an evaluator and I'm, a, I'm out in stadiums, I maybe only see him two times. So I've seen two out of 32. Let's right. say okay. Okay, um, that's not enough no. to give a whole evaluation yeah. on a player. That's six percent of who he so is. So we right? have to kind of think through other ways to evaluate it. So you want to package everything together and really start to start to paint a picture at that moment in time, not just from what our eyes see, because 
did we just see one of his five best or one of his five worst or something just in between? You know, maybe right. we didn't see him use a particular pitch that day, but that could have been because that was what the scouting report called for. Um, so how can I grade that pitch if it wasn't really utilized that day? Hmm. So you have to take a more complete look at the player, in my opinion. And finally, Billy, you know, you, you talk about using your eyes. How important is using your ears in, in your job? Um, it is the most important thing. Um, and there's all different types of listening. You know, there's listening to fix, right, which is I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to go fix your problem for you, right? But then there's listening to learn. And that's when you understand that somebody maybe has, a, has an issue or has something or a problem that they're working on. But when you listen to learn, you kind of let them know that I'm do appreciate Billy Epler and, and as and for the team he has assembled, we're going to run through the hitters today. We, to we can this. save the pitchers so for tomorrow. Let's start the roll call after more, this. And it's uh, it's gotten me a little farther. And you know what? Frankly, you just learn more with your ears than you do with your mouth. Yeah. Well, uh, whatever you are doing, please keep doing it. It's going great. Thank you for your time, Billy. And, and I do love your taste in posters too. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Good to spend time with you. Do appreciate Billy Epler, and, and as for the team he has assembled, we're going to run through the hitters today. We can save the pitchers for tomorrow. Let's start the roll call after this. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Alphabetically presented Mets hitters for 2022. Wearing the number 20, 6'2", 253-pound right-hand hitter, 27 years old from Tampa, Florida, Pete Alonzo. And the man who gave Pete his polar bear nickname just announced his retirement from baseball yesterday. New Jersey's very own Todd Frazier, we wish you well. As for the polar bear, using war as a guide, sixth best first baseman in the sport last year, Vlad Guerrero Jr., and Paul Goldschmidt are the guys that stand at the top. There's a drop-off after that. Guys like Matt Olson, Max Muncy, Freddie Freeman. Then the best of the rest, it's Alonzo, ahead of guys like Yuli Gurriel and Joey Votto. Wearing number 24, six-foot-tall, 228 pounds, 39-year-old left-hand hitter from the Dominican Republic, Robinson Cano. Looks like the bat speed is still there at 39. You've got Yadi Molina and Nelson Cruz, the only older position players currently on rosters. Cano's return is after that one-year suspension that kind of complicates things for the Mets. Two years left on a 10-year, $240 million deal he originally signed with Seattle. The Mets owe him $20 million per year the next two years. 360 spring training batting average suggests that Robbie still has some promise here. In the shortened 2020 season, OPS of close to 900, but... You wonder how much of that was artificially inflated by the illegal enhancers that, in theory, he's no longer taking. All I know, 16-year career, 302 big league batting average. Let's see what he's still got. Wearing number 19, standing 6'2", 192 pounds, 33-year-old right-hand hitter from San Jose, California, Mark Canna. And a comparable player, I think, is Michael Kadire. A little bit here. A free agent signing that worked out very nicely in 2015, you might recall. Last three years... He's got a higher weighted on base average than Jose Altuve, 
and Michael Conforto, just to throw a couple guys out there. His true breakout came in 2019, and he's going to have a chance for a National League version of that season this year. 20 or 25 home runs, maybe a dozen stolen bases, something like that. Wearing number 28, which is also his age, a 6'1", 222-pound right-hand hitter from Elk Grove, California, J.D. Davis, former Cal State Fullerton Titan and Houston Astro, had a heck of a 2019 as a Met, 307 batting average, 22 home runs, but in the two years since then, about the same number of total at-bats if you smush them together, 260 batting average, 11 home runs. He's a man without a set position for now. Also a man who had some hand surgery in the offseason, says he's ready to reestablish some things, and we shall see soon enough. Wearing number 10, 5'10", 190 pounds, switch hitter from Venezuela, 33-year-old Eduardo Escobar, childhood friend of Miguel Cabrera, originally White Sox property, broke out as a Minnesota twin soon after, and as recently as his 2019, 35 homers, 118 batted in that year for Arizona, all-star last year, hit 300 in their playoff series against the Braves. Excellent clubhouse presence, big upgrade at third, best the Mets have had over there since David Wright. Wearing number 13, as so many Venezuelan shortstops have done in the past, 27-year-old left-hand hitter Luis Guillorme, known as a glove man, but last year, career highs in hits and runs, had a 384 OBP in 36 starts. Uh, 414 OBP with runners in scoring position. As many walks as strikeouts. There weren't that many other players in baseball that could say that last year. Juan Soto, Yasmani Grandal, Tony Kemp, the only other guys with 100 plate appearances and did what Luis did. Wearing number 12, standing 5'9", 194 pounds, 28-year-old switch hitter from Puerto Rico, Francisco Lindor. Now, before last year, Mr. Smile had never hit lower than 273 in a full season. Hit 33 home runs for Cleveland that year, too. Then he got to New York. The numbers were uh, a lot lower than that. He did manage 20 home runs, nine of them in September. Missed more than five weeks with that right oblique injury. All this is the big contract was kind of dragging him under the wheels. And hey, when Carlos Beltran joined the Mets on his record contract in 05, that was not a good year for him. Second year, though, was great, and uh, maybe that'll be the same for Lindor. Wearing the number six, standing 6'1", 200 pounds, 33-year-old right-hand hitter from the Dominican Republic, Starling Marte, only player in the majors with at least 20 steals each of his last eight full seasons, one of five active players with at least 100 home runs, 200 bags. You've got Altuve, Gardner, Trout, and Turner as the other ones. Trey, that is. Uh, you know, this is a guy who's going to run a lot. He's going to hit a lot. He's a gold glover. He leads Major League Baseball's in outfield assists right now among active players. Last year, maybe his best all-around season. Did it at the age of 33. 310 batting average between Miami and Oakland. On-base percentage, very Brandon Nimmo-esque. 47 steals tied a career high. He also just hit 429 in spring training. Wearing number 33, standing 6'2", 232. 31 years old, right-handed hitter from Santa Barbara, California, catcher James McCann. And yes, we know last year's numbers were way down for the former Tiger and White Sox. But you know what? Only one catcher in all of Major League Baseball last year had as many as 70 runs batted in. That was Salvador Perez in Kansas City. Molina, no. Real Muto, no. Those guys were 66 apiece. So McCann with 46 and I know he only hit 230. None of that's great, but it really wasn't awful either, considering the position that he plays. 
wearing number one this year. Six feet tall, 192 pounds, 29 years old, also from Santa Barbara, California, second baseman Jeff McNeil. The novelist bat, a scratch golfer, and a guy who's due to tear up a big league fairway this year, so to speak. He hit 329, 318, and 311 to get his big league career started. 259 last year. Only 27 extra base hits last year and 400 trips to the plate. Those digits were reversed for him back in 2019. 72, not 27 extra base hits. Somewhere in the middle of those numbers this year, that'll play. Wearing number three, six foot tall, 228 pounds, right-hand hitting catcher from Puerto Rico, 27-year-old Tomas Nito. Should he be the starting catcher ahead of McCann? He did it 417 in spring training. He's a very good pitch framer as well. That's a cool parlor trick that can save you some runs over the course of a season. Wearing the number nine at 63202, left-hand hitter, 29-year-old from a Cheyenne, Wyoming, Brandon Nimmo. And since 2017, his second season in the majors, all he's done is hit. During that time, OPS plus of 133. OBP of 395. Dude just needs to stay healthy. In fact, right now, a reoccurrence of a strained neck, meaning he might not play on opening day. And finally, wearing the number two, six foot tall, 222 pounds, left hand hitting 26 year old first baseman slash outfielder from LA, Dominic Smith. Not traded to San Diego, still a Met for now. He had a great spring training. OBP of 530, slugging percentage of close to 850. He'll play first, he'll play left, he'll DH, and if his 2022 is more like his 2020 than his 2021, he's absolutely a guy you want to keep around. And like Nimmo, a former first-round pick, like Nimmo, very popular in the clubhouse. All right, there you have it. The Mets hitters off the top this season. Tomorrow, we'll look at the pitchers and have a general season preview as well. For now, we are Dunzo, and a tip of the old baseball cap to our stellar Mets in the Morning house band. On keyboards, Justin Ruggiano slapping the bass. There's Pedro Beato. Horn section, Jared Eichhorn. Not on the team this year. And on drums, ladies and gentlemen, the slick fielding shortstop, Rafael Santana. This is Josh Lewin. Happy almost opening day to you. Hopefully the weather cooperates. Hopefully you have a wonderful rest of your day, too. Take care. Let's go, Mets. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.